Welcome to the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. We celebrate your presence here today with us. Enjoy the worship service as you sit back and listen to the singing as it gives inspiration to your soul and then the preaching of the word of God as it gives instruction to your soul. Be blessed as God has a word for you today. You don't know like
Good morning, friends, family, and guests. Here are our weekly announcements. This Saturday, come out and join us for our Fall Bounty drive through food distribution. This is a time that we are giving out to our community, family, and friends free food. Make sure to send this to all of those that are in need and all of your friends and family. On this Wednesday, come out and join us online from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. for prayer meeting and also at 7.30 p.m. for virtual Bible study. We will have our Sunday school sessions on the weekends, our youth and young adult Sunday school at 10 a.m. and our adult Sunday school at 8.30 a.m. We thank you so much for following us and make sure to check us out on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Have a blessed and wonderful Sunday, and we hope that you enjoy the rest of service.
Good morning, Great Little Zion. Join me, if you will, as we're going to continue our series of sermons under the general title, Living Out Loud, Life According to the Psalms. And today, we're going to take another step forward as we go through the Psalms. And I want to draw your attention to Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And as you get your Bible and read with your translations, our words should be quite familiar one to the other. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Here's what it says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I've entitled this sermon, The Examined Life. The Examined Life. Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24. Words like improve, increase, inherited are words that could suggest that your life, our life, is on the right track. Or it could be highly suggestive that you and I have managed to posture our life in the right place before the right people at the right time. Or it may further suggest that you and I have employed the principles of planning strategically, systematically, and spiritually for our life to take the journey on the road least traveled because we have been intentional in our choices. A pointed point you may be making is that my experience, your experience, are not just episodes that occurred or something that just is simply happening in the now, Instead, for certain, this kind of living, this kind of meaning for our life is rooted, I contend, in three different perspectives. One, I suggest that it's the kind of life that we have because we believe in what's called an expected life. It's an expected life because Jeremiah 29 and 11 provides the motivation which builds on the promise of God talking about providing an expected end in the King James Version to life. Although that suggests that there may not be an immediate deliverance in the context to where you find yourself, but at least the immediate assistance to supply all that you need and to sustain you in the midst of your need and to strengthen you until the manifestation come encourages what I define as this expected life in this examined context. The second reason why I may move forward in this idea of increase and inheritance as well as improvement is because what I also call an entrenched life. An entrenched life finds its roots in the book of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 12. 
where Paul provides the instructions that your life should have its roots growing deep in Jesus Christ, letting your life be built on him, the Christ of eternity. Then he says, your faith will grow strong <clears throat> in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with a life of thanksgiving. So that simply says that I have been entrenched. My roots in my life is deeply ingrained in the person of Jesus Christ. And I take seriously John 15, where Jesus says, every branch in me, it's going to bear fruit. It's going to bear fruit because it draws its life and its strength from the root to which it takes its nourishment. But then there's a third element, and that third element is what I want to talk about today. I call the examined life. This examined life is a defining element of any form of progress. And I've come to realize and to value what Socrates learned from his teacher Plato when he said an unexamined life, an unexamined life is not worth living. Now, Socrates believed that the purpose of life is both personal and spiritual. But you can't arrive at that kind of conclusion without having a willingness to examine where you are in your current moment of existence. Someone has stated, if you don't know where you belong, you will adapt to where you are. Now, that is a life changing statement. Listen to what it says again. If you don't know where you are, you will adapt to where you are. If you don't know where you belong, I stand corrected, you will adapt to where you are because you have to examine the context in which you are to help determine where you belong. Because if not, you'll find yourself slowly but surely and even with persistency adapting to the environment all around you. I talked about this because I mentioned that because I want you to engage in this self-examination so you can assess your current condition. You can assess your current climate so you can determine what your next course of action moving forward will be. You have to know where you are in order to know where you need to go. Listen to something else that's been said. Here's why I believe that statement is true. I've heard it said that many people don't drown by falling in the water. They drown by staying there. They have not yet, even after falling in the water, taking the moment to examine where they are, and so they end up staying there, arguably believing that's where they belong. And there may be some of us who may feel like because of the condition that we're in, that's where we belong, but I'm here to serve notice that no matter what adverse condition this unexpected experience of the pandemic has ushered into our life, any negative or debilitating consequence does not have to be permanent. It can be changed and God can work it for the good because God knows how to turn evil 
into good. He knows how because he specializes in reversing conditions. David has met this very kind of moment in his own journey and he helps us to navigate this moment. Psalm 139 is strange in that it paints a picture of utterly clarity regarding the three attributes of God and then it takes this strange shift in verses 19 through 22. Listen to what David tells us. He points out, first of all, in verses 1 through 6, he talks about the knowledge of God. Now, theologians, when we talk about the knowledge of God, have tagged God in terms of knowledge as being omniscient. It simply means that God, he uses the word omni or omni, which means all. So God is all knowledge. David acknowledges that in the text. Listen to what he says in verse 1 of Psalm 139. Lord, you have examined my heart. Here it is. And you know everything about me. You know my sitting down and you know my rising up. You know my thoughts, even when they are afar away. You see me when I travel and when I'm at rest. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and follow me. You or you bless your hand of, you place your hand of blessing over my head. Your knowledge is too wonderful, too great for me to understand. David says, God, you know everything about me. In fact, about everything in the world, but more pointedly, you know everything about me. And you've got to understand that God knows everything about you and where you are and what you are going through. And it's according to scripture, his promise is, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He knows where we are, what we are in, who we are. We cry out sometimes, God, do you understand where I am? Do you know where I am? Do you see that I'm struggling? He knows, says David in verses one through six, because God is omniscient. He has all knowledge. He knows everything. But then David points out, secondly, that God is ever present and not restricted by space. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, Lord, I can never escape from your spirit and I can never get away from your presence. He makes it clear at the outset that no matter where I go, God, no matter how I try to hide myself, no matter how I try to cover up, you know every dimension of where I am because you are already there. Theologians call that omnipresence. They say that God is not limited by space, but God is everywhere at the same time. And David says, Lord, even if I go to the heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the morning and if I dwelt by the farthest ocean, even there, your hand will guide me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I can't hide from you, God. David says, God, you are everywhere, and that's a blessing to know that no matter where I am, God is there. 
If I travel there, he's there. If I travel here, he's here. No matter where I go, the presence of God is everywhere that I am. So David has already told us in these first several verses, at least the first 12 verses, that God is not only omniscient in having all knowledge, omnipresent in being everywhere, but then look at verse 13 and 14. David points out that God is omnipotent. Theologian says that means that God is all-powerful, coupled with being uh, omnipresent everywhere and having all knowledge, he's now got all power. Listen to what David said. You made all the delicate and inner parts of my body and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Thanks to you, you've made me a complicated and yet wonderful person. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. In other words, God, you are the perfect creator and you got the power to create all things. And I'm simply going to say this, and I'm not going to define it for you yet in this sermon. That's why you can't say what God cannot make because God is all powerful to do as he desires. But then the text takes a strange turn. Beginning in verse 19, something different happens. The tone of the text seems to change. David was recognizing the attributes of God, but then a moment occurred that altered his whole state of being. He was happy, but now he's angry. He was being thankful, but now he's being revengeful. It appears that someone has ticked David off, made him angry, got on his last nerve, and pushed him to the point of hatred. Read the text. Listen to what the text says. In verse 19, it says, Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. And then he says something interesting. Get out of my life. You murderers. That's, that's powerful to me. That's powerful to me because David is trying to tell us that I feel, and read this text closely, I feel you in your moment of contention, David is telling us. I feel you in your frustration because of certain people who say things that will rub you the wrong way who talk about how COVID-19 was not that bad and talk too much about the use of a mask until they tested positive. Now their rhetoric has changed. Or someone who lies and says that he has done more for African Americans than any of the previous 44 presidents. Those kind of things can push you to the edge, tick you off change your speech in rhetoric in the spit of a moment. In fact, David, whoever it was, and whatever they did, David calls them again in verse 19, murderers, and told them to get out of his life. And that's what I hope you do on November the 3rd. You say very loudly, get out of my life, Murderers. David is angry. Pick up the narrative in verse 20 and through 22. 
And David says it this way. He says, they blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Lord, should I hate those who hate you? Should I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. Do you hear that? Do you hear that shift in David that once in verse 1 through 18 sounds like utter praise of the goodness and the glory of God and then all of a sudden something happened and changed his entire demeanor. David now suggests that this is a good time to examine my life so that I don't make emotional decisions that I'll regret later. So look what he does. Beginning in verse 23, he begins with the Hebrew verb hakar. And it's an interesting verb because it means to dig. It draws the analogy of an animal who will take its paw, take its forelegs and dig into the ground trying to discover what's beneath where the substance may lie. And David says, God, I want you to dig into my life. Go past the surface of what people see because my heart right now is in a different place, a place that's not glorifying and honoring, and I want you to dig deep, investigate, examine, and probe my heart, God. And that may be where you find yourself now in this pandemic moment, not just because of the pandemic alone, but it just simply has ushered in people's behaviors that have pushed you to the limit people's behaviors that has gotten on your last nerve, people who say things that never thought about what they were saying or the consequence to which it would bring forth. And David says right now in this moment, I don't want to make emotional decisions or reactions that will be costly in the end. So David says, this is a time for me to examine myself. And if you're homebound, this is a good time when you are in the quiet spaces of your own house to do a self-examination. Examine yourself. Look into your heart. Because David says you can't live an examined life unless you're willing to surrender. And this whole concept of surrender really means that you've got to give up ownership. That you've got to subject your thoughts and your ideas and your needs to the power and the will of God. And so David said, I did that. I was willing to surrender myself. That's the reason why I began in verse 23 by saying, search me, God. I'm willing to surrender. What he's really saying is this. David says, I'm willing to be, number one, vulnerable. I'm willing to be vulnerable because I want God to deconstruct me. Take me apart. Because whatever is in me that doesn't need to be there, whatever is causing this hatred, this anger to come forth, whatever is causing my life to be off track to where I was before, listen to him in verses 1 through 18. He's on a great track of being in tune with God, of walking victoriously, and something happens. That's the reason why you got to be careful. You got to keep your eyes on the prize. 
God, lay aside every weight and sin that do have so easily beset us. Even people, cut that off. And David says, I'm willing to be vulnerable because I want the perfect God to handle me. I'm not only willing to be vulnerable, but I'm willing to be vertical. David says, I want to make sure that I am in the right alignment with God and being vulnerable postures me to be at ease in the right space with God. I'm willing to renounce the horizontal, all of its attempt to try to control me. I'm willing to renounce that and look unto the hills from which comes my help that I might be under the hand of God in the right relationship vertically. And then David says, I do that. I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm willing to be vertical that I might become victorious. Because in my victory, I'm going to release whatever it is that God finds. I'm going to release it so that I can be free to worship God in spirit and in truth, and most importantly, I walk above my enemies and never permit them to walk alongside of me. So David tells us that there are a couple of things that he wants us to learn by way of lesson, and then I'm done. He says three things to us regarding this experience of how to live an examined life. And in verse 23 through 24, might I suggest also that David provides for us a reflection of his own heart as it comes to play and is displayed in Psalm 51. Listen to what he says. First of all, David says, I am willing, I noticed David was willing to surrender his life to God for examination. He says in verse 23, search me, Lord, search me, God, and know my heart. Listen to what he says in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me because of your unfailing love and because of your great compassion. You, you alone know where I am, what I have done. David says, Lord, I'm willing to be vulnerable that you may put me through your divine examination. But then there's a second thing. Because in order to really progress and live and examine life, you've got to be willing to let God examine you. Then there's a second thing. David surrenders his life to God because David wants God's explanation see in verse 23 again he says Lord you not only know my heart but he says test me and know my thoughts my complicated thoughts explain for me expose to me listen to what he says in Psalm 51 and verse 1 or verse 4 clause B he says, I have done what is evil in your sight. You will prove right in what you say, and your judgment is just against me. He, he says, Lord, I want you to provide an explanation as to why my anger has been exhorted to such aggression to even ask you to destroy my enemies. 
And you have to be careful about allowing people, allowing circumstances to move you in terms of your emotions to a space where you're willing to step forward to provide harm to another being. You gotta grasp the idea that God knows how to handle the enemy. And David says, I surrender to God for his examination and his explanation. But watch this. He says, I also surrender to God for his extraction. Listen to what he says. Psalm 139, verse 24. Point out anything in me that offends you. Listen, David says, Lord, once you examine and you then give explanation to what's going on in me, I need for you to remove, extract, take out. We used to say that old prayer in the church. Lord, go from heart to heart and from breast to breast. But look in me. And if you see anything in there that's not fitting, please remove it. That's David's cry. That's what happens when you live and examine life. Listen to how he confesses that again in Psalm 51. Listen to verse 1, clause C. Blot out the stain of my sins. Get rid of that thing, God, that keeps me from being stabled in you. Listen to what he says in verse 2 of Psalm 51. Wash me from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. He knows it's sin because something is triggering him and he's missing the mark for the glory of God. This is what an examined life will do for you. Unveil if you're willing to surrender, be vulnerable, be vertical, you'll get the victory. And here David says, I want God to examine me, provide explanation, but then to extract from me that which keeps me from glorifying him. Look what he says in verse 7, Psalm 51, verse 7. Purify me from my sins and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Verse 9. Don't, let, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. And then finally in verse 10, David cries out, because this is what extraction does, create in me a clean heart, God, and renew in me a loyal spirit within. That's what David says. I want you to remove what contaminates me for your glory. And sometimes the removal is painful. Because it's something that we have a close grip on and we know in our inner conscience that we need to let it go, but we can't seem to find the strength to let it go. David says, surrender to God. Don't be afraid of the man you see in the mirror. For this examined life will bring about the needed extraction. And then my final point, says David, that will lead you to a life of elevation. Listen to what he says in Psalm 139, verse 24. Not only pouring out anything in me that offends you, but lead me along the path of everlasting life. 
Listen to how David couples that in Psalm 51, beginning in verse 11. He says it this way. Don't banish me. Don't put me away. Don't remove me from your presence. And then that classic text, don't take away from me your Holy Spirit. But he says in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. That's where David says, Lord, in my surrendering, do what you have to do to make me be willing to not only be vulnerable, to, to be vertical, but to experience the victory that you have and to do that in your examining and in your explanation and extraction, elevate me that I might be the person you want me to be and not ashamed of living an examined life. And listen to what he says in Psalm 51 and then I'm done. As he closes out in verse 13, he says, then I will teach your ways to rebels and they too will return back to you. See, the examined lives help us recognize that we're not the only one, have not been the only one, is or are not the only ones, and won't be the only ones who live a complicated journey, who live a frustrated journey, who experience periodic interruptions of walking in holiness with God, who fall on the wayside, who fall into the water. We are not the only ones this has happened to, nor will we be the only ones it will happen. But David says, when you show me and when you clean me up, you will bring me to a space where I am willing to teach others how to get back to you. And I'm just here in my closing statement to tell you, and then I'm done. I know what it means to have to struggle with something in your life and then have God deliver you. That's the reason why I'm trying to tell you. It doesn't have to be, but you got to be willing to examine your life and say, Lord, here am I. Cleanse me. Make me what you want me to be. Then you'll be able to teach other folk and assist them as to how to get their life in that posture that we spoke about at the very beginning, that posture of life that hides or that lives in those words of increase and improvement and inheritance because our life is on the right track in walking with God. That's the joy of the examined life. Let's pray together. Lord, bless now our time in which you have given us that this word as it goes forth in a planted seed would take root in someone's heart and life. And in the words of Paul, as you give the water and the increase, Lord, I pray that in due season they will reap the glorious harvest of listening to your word and examined life. Search us because you already know us. And God, test us. Look at our thoughts and point out anything that's not pleasing but that's offending to you. 
and then lead us on that path that goes to everlasting life. Lift us up. And Lord, I pray today that someone finds that freedom in the person of Jesus Christ. In his glorious name we pray. Amen. It's my heart's desire. It's the heart's desire of our congregational life that this is the day that God has given you to find the newness of life. And I pray that this day is the beginning of a fresh new day for you. That as you are wrestling with that particular something, be willing to take the word of God, utilize Psalm 139, and ask God to examine you so that whatever it is that's keeping you from experiencing the glory of God, you can get it out of your life and then be elevated to the newness of life. If that be your decision, we'd love to hear about it. Let us know in our church office. It'll be our joy to be able to celebrate with you and to give God glory for giving you another opportunity to experience the newness of life. It is our joy to say thank you to each and every one of you who provide support for the Greater Zion Baptist Church. Thank you so much for allowing us through your financial contributions to be able to minister. And as you prepare yourself now to take out your electronic device and make your contribution or to go to our church website and make your contribution through our e-giving or mail us your contribution, however you decide to do it, we are blessed. We receive it with thanksgiving and we recognize you have made this opportunity possible. We say thank you and we continue to ask that you would grant us your support that we can continue to come and celebrate with you. Take this word and enjoy it. Always remember that God loves you and so do I. And remember the best is always yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen.